Boy Bites, the show where we rip heads off and feed them to the wolves who laugh as they chew on your entrails, if your entrails are in your head. Anyway, you know what? This is Atari Bites. Uh, my name is Bill. You're listening to episode 9292. Thanks for listening. I couldn't keep up the scary stuff. I don't want to scare you guys. I love you guys. I don't want you to feel scared. Mildly disappointed, perhaps. Occasionally disgusted and annoyed, certainly. But not scared. How you doing, everybody? I assume you're hungover, because this episode is coming out on Halloween Day, which in 2021 is on a Sunday. So I'm guessing a fair number of you were at uh, some kicking Halloween parties last night. So I'll speak a little quieter, you know, if you're a little hungover. Anyway, boo! <laughs> so I hope all is good. Um, I mean, this is second year of COVID, so I don't know if the kids will be trick-or-treating tonight or not. Mine won't, but that's more because they're older and not really into the trick-or-treating thing. Um, but I don't know if we'll get many trick-or-treaters, if any, at our front door, which is okay with me. For one, because that's more candy for me. And secondly, the new season of Doctor Who premieres tonight. And I don't need a bunch of trick-or-treaters interrupting my nerd time. So, uh, yeah, I hope your Halloween goes how you want it to go. If you have some good costumes, send us pictures. Why not? Um, You went to a lot of work to make those costumes, unless you didn't, and you want to show them off. They could be video game costumes, or, I mean, this is a story podcast. You could have some sort of literary costume. Something, you know, disgusting and repulsive and sexy and all all of the above. You know, we're down for all of that. So send those to AtariBytes.com on Twitter or the AtariBytes Facebook page or the Instagram page for AtariBytes and show the world, or at least the tiny but loyal part of the world that follows this show's social media. All right, I don't usually do news on the show, but this was a, a vital, critical news item that I thought people needed to know. So here it is. I hope, for goodness sakes, that you're sitting down. All right, here we go. A bakery in the UK has been banned from using sprinkles imported from the US. Isn't it bad enough that Americans can't go to certain countries because, you know, we hate wearing masks and getting vaccinated for horrible, deadly diseases, or, you know, because we're Americans? Yeah, isn't that bad enough now they don't want our sprinkles either. So according to this USA Today article, a bakery owner in Northern England announced that he was banned from using his signature sprinkles imported from the US. Rich Myers, owner of Get Baked, stopped selling raspberry glazed donut cookies after the sprinkles he used were found to have food coloring that is banned in the UK. It's the E127 food coloring. Sorry, that's the only one that's actually approved. West Yorkshire Trading Standards said the E127 food coloring is the only is only approved for use in the UK in cocktail cherries and candied cherries. All right, let me start that over again. E127 food coloring is the one that's banned. It's not banned completely from the UK, but you can only use it in cocktail cherries and candied cherries. Various studies have linked the ingredient to hyperactivity and the and other effects on children's behavior. Apparently, that's the food coloring that's used in these sprinkles that this guy gets from the U.S. to put in his donuts, but now he can't. Meyer said it's unlikely he will find a suitable replacement for the U.S. sprinkles, and he instead used icing sugar. Quote, British sprinkles just aren't the same, and I hate them. I am extremely passionate about sprinkles, Meyer said in the post. Good for you, sir. We all need a passion for something. It does make me wonder what's so bad about British sprinkles. Apparently, Myers has been bombarded by the press since all this came up. So much so, Myers delayed the bakery's opening to the late evening. The sprinkles were a huge hit in the bakery and a huge loss to the business. They'll have to make adjustments to compensate for this truly horrendous ordeal. So yeah, I, I gotta know what's wrong with the British sprinkles. I mean, I get... I, I've never been to the UK, but all the jokes are that Americans tell are like, you know, how bad the food is in the UK. What's wrong with the sprinkles? Even this British baiter seems to not like the British sprinkles. So if I have any UK listeners listening to the show, please explain to me why American sprinkles are so much better. Well, I hate to lay that, you know, horrible global catastrophe on you in a time of 
you know, a, a string of global catastrophes, but I, I felt you needed to know. So go hug your donut with sprinkles tight and, and appreciate the fact, those of you listening in America, that you're so fortunate as to have American sprinkles. <sighs> All right, let's try to move on. As long as I'm cramming news into the show this episode, um, I did also notice uh, some sad news. Uh, we do enjoy sad news on the podcast. This article in Happy Mag TV, which might be the best website name ever, beloved Galaga and Pac-Man pixel artist Hiroshi Ono dead at 64. Um, the older I get, the more ages like 64 don't sound that old to me. Hiroshi Ono, also known as the legendary Namco pixel artist Mr. Dotman, has passed away at the age of 64. Uh, he was suffering from a long-term illness, evidently, and passed away on the 16th of October, as announced via a statement on his official Twitter page. A crowdfunding campaign for a documentary about his life further revealed that he had been suffering from suspected autoimmune disease, hepatitis, and had been in hospital since early October. He joined Namco in 1979, contributed greatly to some of the company's most iconic arcade games, many of which are still being played, of course. He continued to work for Namco after its merger with Bandai in 2006, before leaving to pursue freelance work and independent projects in 2013, including running a number of pixel art workshops, most well known for his sprite work in Dialga and Dig Dug, and created logos and cabinet art for other Namco games such as Pac-Man. I'm sorry to hear that. The art, of course, that he contributed was iconic. If any of you has any of his art, um, hold on to it. If any of you happens to have any original art, of course, hold on to that as well. Um, not only to uh, appreciate it now that Mr. Ono has passed, but of course, more crassly, um, it's going to be worth a lot more money now. Our condolences to Mr. Ono's family and friends and all who appreciated his work. Weirdly, for the second episode in a row, we have one of these. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Justin Chapman is a journalist in Pasadena, and he came in second place in the hard news meaning one day's coverage of a hard news story category, and third place in the obituary slash inappreciation category, politics, business, arts, personalities, in the 63rd annual Los Angeles Press Club's Southern California Journalism Awards. On a recent Saturday, this article came out on October 19th, more than 2,000 entries were submitted. Why do we care about this? Well, because both of his nominations were for his article in the Alta Journal about Mad Mike Hughes. This article reminds us that when a pneumatic cylinder damaged the, uh, his rocket's nozzle upon launch, it caused the rocket to jolt in the side, to the side, likely knocking Hughes unconscious. He flew several thousand feet and was dived into the desert floor without releasing the parachutes and board killing him instantly. Chapman apparently was in the process of writing a book about Hughes, so he was there filming uh, the launch, and he also filmed the crash. The video went viral on Twitter with 5 million views in three days, got significant national and international media attention. He wrote two articles, one for the Huffington Post, the spectacular finale of Mad Mike Hughes, and the other for Alta Journal, the daredevil who reached for the stars. And he's still working on his book about Hughes, which I have to imagine is going to be way better than the Hughes biography, or uh, yeah, the Hughes biography that I tried to read, you'll recall, a couple years ago. And I had to put it down because it was such a poorly written book. I have to imagine he, this guy is going to write uh, a much better written book anyway. So that's pretty cool. You know, congratulations to him. I have not read those articles that he got nominated for, but that's cool. I am kind of sort of looking forward to the Hughes biography. If any of you happens to notice that it's out there, I mean, if he's still writing it now, it could be another year or so. Or more before it actually comes out, but if you happen to see a Mad Mike Hughes biography floating out in the ether, let me know. I don't know if I'll read it or not. Maybe I'll just kind of hope that one of you guys reads it. Alright, moving on. Um, oh, hey, speaking of things that you can get in America and the UK and pretty much anywhere you want, I have a new book coming out. As you know, from time to time, I take the uh, short stories that you hear on the podcast, I put them on paper, I spruce them up a little bit, give them a nice little polish and slap them between the covers of a book, 
and make that book available to you. Also available electronically. And I got another one coming out. I can actually finally announce a date. I've been working on this for a while. Finally, it's coming out. Looks like it's going to be November 15th. It's going to be called Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories. And you're going to be able to order, be able to order pretty much wherever you like to order books. So please look for that. Please tell your friends to look for that. As I'm recording this, I don't have like a pre-order date or anything, but I assume there will be. So check with your favorite, you know, as I said, your favorite source for books. And uh, when you see a pre-order date, jump in and pre-order because uh, then you can get it right away when it comes out. That's especially important these days when shipping is a problem. Uh, books in particular, uh, paper and all that, uh, has been an issue. So there may be some delays. So if you, when you can start pre-ordering, and like I said, as of right now, as I'm recording this, I don't know when that's going to be. But the official release date looks like it'll be November 15th. Second Duck on the Right and other very short stories. Of course, my other books are still out there. Misery Banana, Hell Serial, and now we're into the fall. Um, you might think about picking up my holiday-themed novel in the St. Nick of Time. Uh, so, thus endeth the self-promotion. Now that we're all happy and feeling good, this is the part in a horror when something bad would happen. Like, for example... This week's game is Halloween from Wizard Video, 1983. You can thank uh, Patreon supporter Patrick McCarthy for this, by the way. You remember him, right? He's the guy who made me play the Porky's video game, which I'm still in therapy about. He is a patron, which I do appreciate, even if uh, I question his choice in games, although that may change today, so stay tuned for a couple minutes. Patrons at the $4 per month level get to help program the show. And this was one of the games that he suggested. The game, of course, was inspired by classic horror movie Halloween. And it is a surprising choice for ostensibly a kid's toy, right? The Atari system. I don't know if there were any sort of, um, you know, I, I don't think they had video game ratings then, but I don't know if there were any sort of adults-only type warning sticker kind of thing. I mean, the game is kind of, it's not bloody, but clearly there are points where people get their heads cut off and there's little, the Atari version of a little bit of blood spurting out and kids routinely get killed in the game. So it's kind of intense for ostensibly a, a kid's game. Looking at the cover for the manual, it's got a scary picture of a vaguely Jason-looking mask, more like a pumpkin mask. The, the weird thing about this game seems to be that it's it's Halloween, as in the Halloween movie, but not. They don't ever call him Michael Myers. They don't call the babysitter at home with the kids. Laura Stroud, or Stroud, is that her name? Jamie Lee Curtis character. But clearly, the story is the story from the movie. Um, so the cover has a creepy picture on the front of a dude in a pumpkin-looking mask with scary lighting coming through the eye holes and holding up a huge knife. And, and the caption, the game where he comes home. Will you survive the night he comes home? Wizard Video Games presents the Halloween video game for your Atari 2600 or Sears Telegames video game. Telegame video game. That's kind of awkward. A homicidal maniac has escaped from a mental institution. On Halloween night, the killer returns to his hometown to wreak havoc. You are babysitting for a family in a large two-story house. Somehow the vengeful murderer has gotten inside. Can you protect the children and yourself from the fury of his knife? I don't want to open a huge political debate here, but is the fury in the knife or is it in the knife wielder? Hmm? Yeah, maybe that's a conversation for a different time. I mean, if it's just an angry knife, what's an angry knife going to do without somebody to pick it up? And if it's just an angry person, I mean, how's he going to kill you without a knife? Huh? I mean, it's not like he's an undead homicidal maniac with access to other weapons and well never mind how to play the halloween video game you control the babysitter character and at certain times the child characters as you move through the 16 rooms of the two-story house avoid the killer when he appears that's good advice he will attempt to stab you on the children who by the way all look alike they're all uh, a little 
apparently little boy character, just based on the length of the hair, uh, which is to say not really much hair at all. The, the kid actually looks like, um, ah, shoot, what's his name? I can remember his name in the field report either. Chief Wiggum's kid. Uh, he's always got his finger up his nose uh, from The Simpsons. No, I can't remember his name. But he looks like that kid. Uh, so look for the knife with which to defend yourself. At the top of the screen are jack-o'-lanterns indicating how many of your three lives remain. At the bottom of the screen is your score. Using your joystick, move the babysitter through the house, dodging the killer as you search for the terrified children. When you spot a fleeing child, position the babysitter directly over the child and press the joystick button. This will lock in the child, and he will thereafter follow the babysitter as you race for one of the four safe rooms. And when they say above the child, they literally mean like standing over the child, not like literally covering the child. Safe rooms are located at either end of the house, and they're not really marked at all. You're just kind of running, running, running until you can't run any farther, and oh, that's where the safe room is. Uh, there are two on each floor. After you've successfully delivered a child to a safe room, press the joystick button. The child will be released, and the appropriate points will be added to your score. The child will disappear after points are added and the babysitter leaves the safe room. Somewhere in the house is a knife, which the babysitter may use to stab the killer. To pick up the knife, position the babysitter over the knife and press the joystick button. If you are armed when the killer attacks, press the joystick button to thrust the knife. Caution. Your thrust will be successful only if the killer's knife is in the up position. The killer will flee the room if stabbed. The knife will vanish from the babysitter's hand and reappear in another room of the house. Note, babysitter may not lock in a child when she is carrying the knife. She must first attempt to stab the killer. Um... I'm sure I mentioned this later, but I, I tried stabbing the killer a couple of times, but it's really hard to do without getting yourself killed instead, and all you're really accomplishing is making the guy leave the room. It, it, it's Overall, it's just easier just to avoid the killer. If you feel compelled to try and stab Jason, or sorry, not Jason, is it Jason? Or is it Michael Myers? Suddenly, I don't, I don't know. Oh, I'll have that conversation later. Anyway, doorways. In the safe room, safe rooms at either end of the house, stairways lead to the upper or lower floors. You can't actually see them. You just go into the doorway, and if it's one of those safe rooms that you've gone into, you pop out on the floor below or above, whatever the opposite of where you were. Two other rooms on each level contain hallways. Entering one of these hallways will skip the babysitter two rooms to the other hall door on the same level. Again, you don't see a hallway. You go into the door, you pop out in another room. Beware of electrical blackouts on the upper level, for the house is old and the wiring is faulty. Boy, there's a lawsuit in the making for the parents of that kid. You know, not Lori Stroud is going to make a lot of money, you know, if she doesn't die. Oh, by the way, when she does die in the game, Jason, or Michael Myers, whatever his name is, cuts her head clean off, blood spurting all over the place, and she keeps running like a chicken with its head cut off. Again, really creepy. For an Atari game. At any moment in these blackout rooms, you may find yourself plunged into darkness with the killer in pursuit. If it wasn't clear, the object of the game is to lead as many children as possible to the protection of the safe rooms before you lose three lives. There's no real winning this game. You're not going to destroy the killer, uh, of course, because there needs to be sequels. And you're not going to gather up all of the family's children. You just keep saving children. Apparently, they have these parents have an unlimited number of children. And they just keep reappearing, reappearing, and they're all identical. It's whatever the unlimited number version of twins is. Clones, maybe? I don't know. Is there some other game going on here where these parents are cranking out child clones in their basement? I want to play that game. So you just keep going until your babysitter character gets killed. For each child delivered to a safe room, you get 675 points, which is a really odd number. I mean, it's literally an odd number, but it's also an odd choice for a point value. An additional 325 points is awarded each time you stab the killer with the knife hidden somewhere in the house. I mean, was the idea that if you did that once and you saved one kid, you'd have an even thousand points, maybe? I don't know. Successfully stabbing the killer twice or rescuing five children advances you to the next level of play. I did not accomplish that in my uh, you know, little bit of messing around with the game today before I recorded Gameplay on higher level is more difficult, and point values increase considerably. Point values in level 2 are twice that of level 1. Values in level 3 are three times that of level 1, etc. I did not advance to the next level. It sounds like it's just more of the same. It's not like uh, 
you know, not Freddy Krueger, suddenly makes an appearance or something. How would you make an Atari game? I could see making a modern game, but how would you make an Atari game of uh, The Quiet Place, or A Quiet Place, the uh, the John Krasinski, Emily Blunt thing that came out a couple years ago, where uh, you have to move around super quiet, or the aliens will hear you and kill you. I wonder how you translate that to the Atari. I could see doing it with like a PC game, but yeah, I don't know. Some uh, home brewer who can uh, figure out a way to do this without infringing any copyrights, please do. A Quiet Place, by the way. It's more my speed for horror, horror movies. It's not bloody. Uh, it's creepy. Um, suspenseful. That's more what I'm into. I'm not into the uh, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Buckets of Blood kind of horror movies. Other helpful hints. When leading a child to a safe room, you, might fi- you may find the murderer in your path. Try pushing up on the joystick. The babysitter and child will momentarily separate, allowing the killer to pass harmlessly between them. No, this doesn't mean hitting your button and releasing the kid. It just means you move up and the kid will move down and it creates that path. Don't bother searching for the knife while leading a child for it won't appear. Listen for the ominous Halloween theme music, which follows the maniac wherever he goes. There's a 90-day limited, sorry, just a 90-day warranty, I guess not limited. Unlimited for Halloween. I'm adding all that. I don't know if that's true. And that is how you play Halloween from... Wizard Video. How's that for a treat in your tricker, trickery bag? I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. So, Halloween, the game, was released in October of 83. It was based on the 1978 horror film. The game was programmed by Tim Martin, and our friend Wikipedia tells us that when games by Apollo went broke, Martin and another former employee, Robert Barber, developed Halloween. The game was called Halloween, it featured the film's theatrical poster as its cover art, and as well as the movie's main music theme, the game itself never refers to any characters including the killer by their names in the film. I guess I have to assume that that is because of copyright intellectual property issues. Wizard Video apparently also did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, like Halloween, was a controversial title at the time due to its violent content and subject matter. Many game retailers refused to carry Halloween, and the ones who did often kept it behind a counter or uh, on a request-only basis. Both of those games drove Wizard Video Games into bankruptcy. While Wizard Video Games were liquidating its merchandise, some copies of the game were shipped and sold without a label or with a simple white sticker with Halloween handwritten on it to cut costs. This led to even more stores rejecting the game due to its appearance. Wizard Video's other commercial release, well, Halloween, had a better reception than Texas Chainsaw Master, but the limited number of copies sold has made both games highly valued items among Atari collectors. If anybody out there has the actual cartridges, or, you know, the whole deal, the cartridge and the manual and the box and everything, let me know, just out of curiosity. Also, if you don't mind revealing, would you pay for them? My new favorite wiki page, the Crappy Games Wiki, my new favorite title, breaks the game down into bad qualities and good qualities. Bad qualities. Graphics are fine, but the color choice is weird. It is. I mentioned that in the uh, field report. It looks like whoever did the home interior design for the kids who live in Peanuts Town, in the Peanuts comic strip, more specifically in the animated specials, or the Sunday strips, I guess, that are in color, that home designer probably designed the house that this babysitter is running around in because every room is a different color and they're all weird and nobody in in real life would design a house like this Uh, another bad quality 
according to the wiki. The only music in the game is the Halloween theme. It only plays when Michael Myers appears in the same room you are. Yeah, yeah, it is Michael Myers. So what... Oh, Friday the 13th. That's Jason. All right, anyway. So the theme only plays when Michael Myers appears. It resets whenever he enters rooms, like the music in Deadly Towers. I don't know that one. If you get caught by Michael Myers, you lose a life. If the kids... You lose a life. If the kids get caught, nothing happens. Not only is that off-putting, but it defeats the purpose of saving the kids. The only thing that happens if you save a kid is you get 675 points. Michael Myers can chop off the heads of people and blood can spurt out in an Atari game. Parentheses, they say. This may be a plus, really. Good qualities. Stable gameplay. Michael Myers moves too slow at first. The more points you get, he gets faster and becomes a real challenge. The Halloween theme song is good. They got me there. It is pretty good scary music. And good graphics for the Atari 2600. Indeed. I would have to agree to, with that as well. Middleofnowheregaming.com asks the cutting-edge question, does this classic Atari game still make the cut? This game predates the term survival horror by over a decade. Currently one of the rarest and most valuable Atari 2600 games out there, routinely selling for over $100 for the cartridge by itself. But due to its rarity, age, and the fact that it is out of print, not, uh, not on any digital collections, and on a system that isn't produced anymore, you have to brush up on your eBay skills to actually play this one. I don't know when this article was written. Oh, seven years ago. There you go. So you keep playing the game until you die, trying to beat your own score. There's only one level, a simple two-story house. The idea is to save as many kids as possible without getting decapitated. As basic as it is, the setting works really well. The game assumes you're familiar with serial killer Michael Myers. Not that it matters. And the idea of teenage slasher movies. This is really all you need to go on. The game doesn't exactly need Titan graphics cards to run smoothly. However, it looks good for an Atari game. There is impressive blood animation, and the models are at least semi-recognizable, which is rare. Surprisingly, the game was pretty fun. Reminiscent of the classic Sega title, Flicky. I don't know that one either. But with more murder. The frantic running around, not knowing when the killer is going to show up, makes for some tense and interesting gameplay. It's fairly challenging. Had a lot of trouble saving more than one or two people. You won't be enjoying marathon sessions of Halloween, but it's worth checking out for its rarity and the history that goes with it, if nothing else. 6.5 points out of 10. HonestGamers.com's review can be summarized thusly. Once the shock wears thin, you'll still have inventive gameplay. However, the act of running from one room to another, saving children, trying to survive, and stabbing Michael Myers becomes a slow and tedious one. There's little in the way of fast pace or addictive gameplay, so the simplicity and extreme repetition make for a rather dull experience. Halloween scores points for originality, not the standard fare that comes with Atari 2600, and its opulence of Space Invaders derived software. No matter what era you play Halloween in, it's still a shocking title. It's not because of the bloody gore or child killing, it's the notion that something this old got away with it. Many tend to think of any time before Mortal Kombat as purer, a time filled with rainbows, smiling mushroom people, and happy clown children. Seeing something this graphic on such an ancient piece of machinery is quite the surprise. Halloween is not a total wash, it stays true to its source material, even including the famous theme music. Uh, whenever Michael appears, it's not for lack of trying or because Halloween is an all, at all a stable title. It's better than most licensed titles on the 2600, but its premise doesn't hold up for very long. Okay, the Halloween movie franchise. I am not an expert on the Halloween movie franchise. Thankfully, we have Google. I mean, I like Jamie Lee Curtis, who doesn't. I don't know that I've ever seen an entire Halloween movie, and apparently there's 12 of them. I'm not sure if that includes the one that's out now. Was it Halloween Kills or something? I'm not sure I've ever seen a whole movie of this, but, I mean, ditto... Friday the 13th, uh, Freddy Krueger, you know, those movies. You know, I mentioned earlier, I don't go in for the buckets of blood type horror movies. I don't find them, like, fun, scary. I just find them creepy and unsettling, and that's different. It's not that I don't appreciate the effort that goes into making them. They just don't feel, they don't feel the right kind of creative for me. There's a lot of energy that in, goes into making them. I think it's harder to scare people with actual scares than it is by shocking them with lots of fake blood. So I appreciate, like, A Quiet Place or, or movies that can scare you without grossing you out. Blur Witch Project, for example. I was really creeped out when I saw that. Um, I also made the mistake of seeing it on a day when my wife was out of town, because I knew she would never go with me. So I went to see Blur Witch Project by myself and then went home to a dark, empty house. By myself. That was probably a bad idea. But the point is, that was an unsettling movie and there was like no blood in it. But it's still, I still find it creepy to think about. 
So, that said, Google tells me Halloween is a, a series of 12 films, along with novels, comic books, a video game, and other merchandise, primarily focused on Michael Myers, who was committed to a sanitarium as a child for the murder of his sister, Judith Myers. Fifteen years later, he escapes to stalk and kill the people of the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois. His killings occur on the holiday of Halloween, on which all of the films primarily take place. The original Halloween was released in 78, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and directed by Carpenter, the film inspired by Alfred, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Um, also, a good suspenseful, a suspenseful movie, which, other than the famous shower scene, has really no blood in it. Also based on Bob Clark's Black Christmas. Hmm. Bob Clark, of course, I believe, same guy, did um, A Christmas Story, which is one of my favorite not just one of my favorite holiday movies, but one of my favorite movies, uh, period. Hmm. I didn't know he also did a slasher film, apparently. Eleven films have followed the 78 original. Michael Myers is the antagonist in all of the films, except for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, a story with no direct connection to any other film in the series. In 2007, Rob Zombie did a remake of the 78 film, and a sequel to that was released two years later. A direct sequel to the original film, which ignores all the previous sequels, was released in 2000, er, 2018. And two sequels to the 2018 film, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, are scheduled for release in 2021. So Halloween Kills is out right now, and 2022 respectively. I didn't realize they'd already planned out the one called Halloween Ends, which I assume ostensibly is supposed to be the end of Michael Myers. But of course, we know that you have put that in quotes. The films collectively grossed over $640 million at the box office worldwide. The film series is ranked first at the United States box office in, office in adjusted $2018 when compared to other American horror film franchises. The original film received critical acclaim, while the 2018 film received mostly positive reviews. The other films have received mixed or negative reviews from critics. They are, if you're curious, Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, Halloween H2O, 20 Years Later, Halloween Resurrection, Halloween, that's the 2007 remake, Halloween 2, Halloween in 2018, Halloween Kills in 2021, and Halloween Ends due out October 14th, 2022. If you're listening to this uh, sometime after October 14th, 2022, and you want to tell me what you thought of Halloween Ends, let me know, and I'll be like, when did I ask you to do that? I'm skimming through the, the uh, summaries of all the different films. Sadly, Halloween H2O does not take place underwater. Who wouldn't want to see a scuba diving, you know, knife-wielding uh, maniac? Wonder what kind of, kind of uh, Speedo Michael Myers would wear. Probably something with a nice floral print on it. You know, maybe with a, like a, like a dolphin-shaped uh, inner tube so that he can, he can float. You know, because it's hard to do the uh, breaststroke and stab somebody in the breast at the same time, seems to me. Slasher films, because I was curious, is a subgenre of horror films involving a serial killer murdering a group of people, usually by use of bladed tools. The term slasher might occasionally be used informally as a generic term for any horror film involving murder. Film analysts cite an established set of characteristics which set slasher films apart from other horror subgenres such as splatter films and psychological horror films. Critics cite the Italian Giallo films and psychological horror films such as Peeping Tom, 1960, and Psycho, 1960, as early influences. The genre of slasher films hit its peak between 78 and 84, an era referred to as the golden age of slasher films, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play, Candyman, Scream, and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Slasher films typically adhere to a specific formula. A past wrongful action causes severe trauma that is reinforced by commemoration or anniversary that reactivates or re-inspires the killer. Built around stalk and murder sequences, the films draw upon the audience's feelings of catharsis, recreation, and displacement as related to sexual pleasure. The final girl trope is discussed in film studies as being a young woman, occasionally a young man, left alone to face the killer's advances in the movie's end. Laurie Strode... Jamie Lee Curtis, the heroine in Halloween, is an example of a typical final girl. Final girls are often, like Laurie Strode, virgins among sexually active teens. Alright. Several slasher film villains grew to, grew to take on villain protagonist characteristics, 
with the series following the continued efforts of a villain, rather than the killer's victims, for example, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Chucky, and Leatherface. Apparently they're making a Chucky TV series now, which I'm perplexed by. I'm probably not going to watch it. I'm just curious at the concept of how you would do that, exactly. If anyone's watched the Chucky show, or does, as this episode's coming out, I don't think the Chucky show is out yet. Maybe it is, I don't know. Let me know what you think, and how they do it. I'm just curious. The appeal of watching people inflict violence upon each other dates back thousands of years to ancient Rome, though fictionalized accounts bear marketable, became marketable with late 19th century horror plays produced at the Grand Drugenol. Maurice Tourneur's The Lunatics, 1912, used visceral violence to attract Gugnol's audience. My bad pronunciation uh, basically was for a French term, which means the theater of the great puppet, a theater in the Pigalle district of Paris. In the United States, public outcry over films like this eventually led to the passage of the Hayes Code in 1930, when the entertainment industry's earliest set of guidelines restricting sexuality and violence deemed unacceptable. People do like violence and blood and sex, obviously, and they can combine all those things. Evidently, that makes for a thrilling movie experience. You know what else could stir your feelings of violence as well as your sexy feelings? The rest of this podcast. After the break, we put a little treat in your ear bag. The rest of this episode is killer. Well, they might be screaming anyway. Boo, Henry! Did I scare you? Dang it! It's Halloween, you're supposed to be scared. Wait! Do you hear that creepy noise? It could be a creepy killer coming to creepy kill us. Are you scared now? Dang it. Nothing scares Henry. Well, maybe this game will. Playing Halloween. 1983. We know that because it's creepy music. There is... There is creepy... Well, not creepy. There is unnamed babysitter... Jamie Lee Curtis, I mean, unnamed babysitter. There is Michael Myers with a really kicking blonde dude. Look at that. Sorry, I meant he's creepy unnamed killer. So we're locking on to unnamed kid who looks a little bit like, uh, oh, what's the kid? Chief Wiggum's kid in The Simpsons, whatever his name is. All right, I put him in the safe room disappear in a second. I cashed in my 600, collected my 675 points. It got dark. I'm going to run this way. The music works really well. It's creepy music. Michael Myers could move a little faster, but you know. Another kid. I'm going to go downstairs. The colors are a little odd through the multicolored rooms of this house, apparently designed by uh, whoever did the home design for the kids in Peanuts. Charles Schultz famously said he wanted the backgrounds in Peanuts to be minimal so that you focus on the characters. Maybe that's what's going on here, but still, the multicolored walls are odd. And I don't know what's going on between the floors with those wavy boards. I guess this isn't a home design show. Michael Myers, that hard to avoid. I'll probably get killed here in a second to prove that wrong. See? Oh, blood spurting. Ooh, killed the kid too. Seeing a kid get killed in a video game, a little intense for an Atari game. But also, at the same time, cartoony? There, I died again, because I was talking to you people. Go, uh, go through that door. All it does is skip you a couple of rooms oh. if you want to go up. Because there was a, there was like a sword thing. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I was going to mention that, Henry. Occasionally, occasionally there'll be a knife on the floor, and you can pick it up and try and stab him, but it's really hard to do because he's got to be holding the knife just right up in the air for you to be able to stab him, and it's just much easier to just avoid him altogether. To get from one floor to another, I didn't mention that, but in that same room, 
that you drop off the kid, which is on either end of the house. You can go in the door and then go from one to the, to the other floor, whichever it is. Like that. I initially thought when I was reading the instructions that there were like four kids, and if you saved all four kids, then the game was over. In reality, it's just you keep saving kids until you're uh, until you run out of lives, which is going to happen very soon because I'm on my last one. Oh, the music! There we go. I wonder where the music went. Don't you do it, Michael Myers? Ah, oh, man, not cool. For some reason, you know, you lock on the kid and he follows you and that's all fine. But if you unlock, it doesn't seem to let you lock again. I don't know why that is. Don't do it, Michael Myers. Man. You know, I, I don't want to speak ill of people, but this Michael Myers is not a very nice guy. Oops. And that is the end of me. And that is the end of Halloween, for now, until the Atari Bytes sequel. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned Devilish Breakfast Food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a decoder ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you like to get your books. Not cereal. So here's the thing about Halloween. I'm already on record as saying I'm not a fan of this genre of film. I probably, I was going to say, I probably wouldn't have played this game. I probably would have gotten to this game eventually. But as I said, you can thank Patrick McCarthy for getting to me, getting me to it now. Uh, and it seems like a good fit to release a game, a show featuring a game called Halloween on Halloween. I actually like, I like this game. But once you've saved a couple of kids, you've kind of done everything in the game. Uh, unfortunately, there's not really anywhere to go. It's super repetitive. Um, it's an interesting game to look at. It is weird, a weird feeling to be playing an Atari game and see people get their heads chopped off and blood spurt out the neck and stuff. It's all kind of fascinating. But yeah, I mean, once you've done it for a few minutes, you've done it. So I'm a little disappointed that the action doesn't ramp up. You know, like in a horror movie where it starts out with um, something kind of creepy happens and then more creepy things happen and then everybody's in deep crap uh, and then there's a showdown at the end between like i was talking about like the the final girl you know facing off against the the villain and you know seeming to actually kill him and then of course he gets away you don't get any of that here you just constant revolving door of doing the same thing over and over again it might help if it was a finite number of kids and you to win the game you have to save them all maybe you know four kids and you save all the four kids, and then you have to defeat the the big bat, the, the villain at the end. 
some sort of big showdown, and that's how you win the game. If it was something like that, maybe. Something to work towards. As it is, you're just doing the same thing over and over. Kind of like I'm saying the same thing over and over in this review. So that's disappointing. Game looks really good, except for the weirdo multicolored house. But other than that, the graphics look really good. Um, so kudos for that. But yeah, it, there's not a whole lot of replay value in this game, I don't think, which is unfortunate. Because even though I don't like horror movies, I like this horror game. If you guys have thoughts about this game, let me know. I'd prefer you send me a Snickers bar. But if you wanted to send me comments about this game, I guess that's probably healthier for me. Damn it. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story comes to us from Bad Poetry Corner, and it's titled, The Candy Hierarchy. You got your nougats, caramels, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, peanut butter is a good bet, coconut is a harder sell, but more do like it than will tell. Peppermint refreshes for sure. Fruity can be a subtle lure. And nothing's quite like a gummy. Cinnamon sure can be yummy. Cookie Center Joy, oh so pure. And at the bottom of the trick or treat bag, black licorice can go to hell. Pickle candy, yes, it's a thing. Ring pops offer no taste, all ring. Generic jelly beans as well. Jawbreakers, a very hard sell. Anise, like anus for reasons. Sure, marshmallow has its seasons. Pez Rocks Delivery, not taste. Circus peanuts, a waste of space. Too much for sugar to please us? Then there are the candy misfits. Candy corn malign, always there. Kids snorting smarties, we should care. Worse than candy cigs? Take a hit. If much chewing, better rocket. Looking at you, milk duds and dots. Much in this foul world our souls rot. Thus, this list exists. If eating, my feelings, better pain beating, comes from yums than life's chamber pots. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Compotech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs. Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Slice your way through a bloody Apple podcast review of this podcast. Make sure it gets five blood-curdling screams. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. And you can call us, too. I am never, ever, ever going to answer the phone because I'm too busy running from a homicidal maniac. But you can leave me a voicemail, and if I survive, I'll play it on the show. 563-265-1978. Message about pretty much anything you want, from your favorite candy to the last time you were chased by a homicidal maniac. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. You're going to find there information, show notes, social media, on and on and on for this podcast, Atari Bytes, and for my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. You're also going to find information and links to some places that you can order them, including the upcoming Second Duck on the Right and other very short stories, which, as I'm recording this, isn't up there yet, but it will be. Consider supporting the show financially by making a uh, by becoming a subscriber on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. There are things you can get ranging from my thanks to bonus content to the ability to help write this show. It's because of Patreon that you're hearing this episode right now. Thanks to all the patrons that are there. I don't think any of you are homicidal maniacs, 
But if you are, I'm just as happy to stay on your good side. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Tortney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, and Jim Goble. Thanks to one and all. Just imagine me throwing candy at you. Alright, next time on Atari Bytes. We go decidedly less scary with a game called Condor Attack. I don't really know what this game is, other than it has something to do with a condor. So, birds, I guess. Not, like my head keeps wanting to do, Concord, the airplane, which would be an entirely different game. Although, both do fly. Maybe there's airplanes in this game. I don't know. We'll just have to wait till the next episode to find out. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. We'll be right back.